Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this day, for giving us bodies and minds and hearts and mouths that can worship you. Thank you for the gift of music. I thank you that we can start our week off with a proper focus on you. Lord, we desire that you be exalted this morning. Would you speak through me? In fact, again, Father, I pray that it would not be me up here speaking. It would be as if Jesus Christ were physically present, speaking to us with the same power and authority that he had while he was on the earth. We access that power, or I access that power in me by faith in Jesus' name. To, Lord, build up your church, your body, to which I am merely a minister or a, a lowly servant of yours. To open our hearts and our minds, grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take a seat. We're gonna talk about, I think it's an absolutely crucial, practical message this morning. It does, and, and I don't expect you to, I have a hard enough time remembering my own sermons, so I don't expect you to remember. But we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, it was about a month ago, and then we talked about the, the three baptisms. You know what, let's give you guys a quiz, shall we? What's the first baptism? And if you name the verse, you can just get up and walk out, you're blessed, and I will not harass you or anything. What's the first baptism? The Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, okay? Second baptism, water baptism, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The third baptism, the filling, empowerment, so the second baptism, Holy Spirit, we're gonna call it, it's an empowerment, okay? Well, how do you live that out? Well, let me tell you a little bit about that because if you are a, a, a child of God, if his spirit lives within you, then you're a child of God, that doesn't guarantee that you will walk with him. Because you don't by nature know how to walk with God, even when you first come to Christ. You have too many bad habits that are within you, in your flesh. And you are really a slave to that until you learn that that's in you and that you're free from that and you get some discipleship instruction on in how to walk with God in a friendship. And you can even serve him in ministry and never hear his voice and never be led by the Spirit. Did you know that? If you're sons of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. The sermon this morning talks about friendship with God, how you can learn to be led by him. It's an extension of being filled or empowered with the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna begin talking about friendship. I don't know if you know this or not. Of course, there's a day for everything anymore in our society, but what was special about yesterday? Can anyone tell me what was special about yesterday? Say it. It was National Friendship Day. Did you know that? Every July 30th, uh, the United States celebrates International Day of Friendship. Now, this day has a long history. Did you know that? It goes all the way back to the early 1900s. In 1919, the United States participates in an unofficial friendship day. Of course, some capitalistic-minded person came up with a great idea 
Because in about 10 years after that, in the early 1930s, Hallmark greeting cards are introduced. And to this day, we acknowledge our friendships through sending someone a card of some sort. In 1958, Paraguay became the first country to celebrate uh, a day of friendship countrywide. And then in 2011, the United Nations introduced, it, introduced the world to the International Day of Friendship, encouraging communities around the world to observe and honor that day. How many of you knew yesterday was, other than my daughter and me, International Day of Friendship? What does that say about our country, right? Well, it turns out that celebrating friendship is it's a pretty good idea. Let me tell you why. There are benefits of friendship. Listen to this. Remember this number, 22%. It's the percentage of people who live longer if they have a close friendship network. Two times, next number to remember, two times. The likelihood of women with breast cancer dying if they don't have a network of friends. Next number to remember, 36%. The percentage of people who quit a habit if their friends quit too. It's called accountability, right? And seven times, the last number, it's the likelihood of a person being more productive at work if their close friend works there too. Interesting stats, right? In fact, friendships are so vital that there are two other ways we recognize the value of these special relationships. Every February 11th, we can observe National Make a Friends Day, or Make a Friend Day, February 11th. And the friends that you make that day, you can celebrate with them on June 8th because it's National Best Friends Day. I'm waiting for uh, the National Former Friends Day, but um, I, someone's going to make some money off that idea. I'm going to copyright that, so can we put that in the video or whatever? So, yeah, for all the introverts out there, strike a blow for us. Okay. Yes, there'll be a card. For as common as friends are, though, if you try to find friendship, it's just dizzying. A British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Uh, there were thousands of answers received, and here are some of the following definitions they received. Number one, one who multiplies joys, divides griefs, and whose honesty is inviolable. Not bad. One who understands our silence. That's my kind of friend. Just shut up. Just be there and just shut up, right? <laughs> I'm joking. A volume of sympathy. Well, Dad, just, just be quiet and the TV's on. Other than that, you can talk, right? All the guys are like, I'm going to guys shaking their head like, yeah, yep. Yeah. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Interesting. That's what friendship is. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. How about this definition? A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. But the winning definition read this way. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. It's not surprising that obviously the Bible speaks about friendship. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus Christ, wrote this about the characteristics of friendship. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. 
So you have a friend that loves you at all times, unconditional love no matter what, and a brother or a friend is born for adversity. There's adversity in your life, they're still there. They stick with you. Proverbs 18.24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. There's a guess, introverts, right? Can't have too many friends. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's hard to hear, but it's true. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I had to get a joke in here, because we joke about friendship. Two middle-aged men sit and park at a park bench and talk about what they think heaven will be like. As a baseball player, one man says to the other, I really hope there's baseball to be played in heaven. That would make everything worth it, the other man replies. It sure would. I haven't been able to play baseball in years, but would love the chance to play in heaven. Tragically, the next day, one of the men dies, has a heart attack. Devastated, his friend returns to the same park bench and weeps for hours. That evening, the man hears a voice speaking to him, saying, hey, it's me, guess what? Thrilled to hear his old friend's voice, he replies, oh my gosh, is that you? You gotta tell me what heaven is like. Well, I got some really great news, and I also have some not-so-great news. There is baseball in heaven, he says excitedly. And the man on the bench replies, that's great news. What's the bad news? And the man responds, you're scheduled to pitch on Tuesday. (laughs) You like that one? Very good. Let's talk about, we talk about friendship. Let's talk about friendship with God. Maybe a different topic, but again, it, it ties into this whole idea of the spirit-filled life. You and I were created to be in a relationship with God. It's a friendship, okay? But there is, um, it's a caveat with it. it. It's what we call the transcendence and eminence of God. The transcendence of God is this, is that he is separate from his creation, He's not dependent on the created order of his creation at all. First Chronicles 20 and 11 says this about the transcendence of God. He is so far above us, so different from us. It says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. That is not true of anyone in this room. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. I would love to be exalted as head of my family. That never happens. Okay? But he's exalted as head above all. That's the transcendence of God. That's the God that I don't understand. I don't. He is so far above me. But when we say God is imminent... Not his eminence, but I am am eminent. We mean he is present within the universe that he has made. He lives particularly within his children. Matthew 1, 23, behold, remember this, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And what is his name called? Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. So it's the transcendence and the eminence of God. It's a attention that we live with in a relationship or friendship with God. He is so far above us, this is why we worship him. 
but we walk with him because he's his imminence. He's imminent. Now, how does God relate to people? This is some of the things that we need to understand. If you look in the Old Testament, for example, and get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And we're keeping the lights off because it'd be, it would make it really, really warm in here. So, Genesis chapter 3. In the very beginning, starting in verse 8. And it's just, it's, if you think about this for a moment and friendship with God, it is mind-blowing. This is Adam and Eve. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, that is something that is unique to them. I have no idea what it would be like to hear God, the creator, this transcendent being, walking among where I am, walking with me. But the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now I want you to know something here. He is speaking to them, right? He's just created them. It's just the three of them. He's speaking to them, and he's, he's communicating to them. Where are you? And there is no, is this God speaking to me or not? I mean, it's very clear. <laughs> Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So women right there, if that's how your date is going to respond to some conflict, drop them like a three-foot putt and find someone else because he is blaming you. Right, not a good sign. Okay? And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And to her credit, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. They walked with God. They related to God as a normal person, right? Back and forth, a friend. So in the very beginning, you see that there's a friendship that Adam and Eve experienced with God because they're created to be in friendship with their creator. And if you look at Abraham, just in Isaiah 41.8, it says this about Abraham. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Now, of course, you didn't, if you didn't know this, Jacob, his name was there changed to what? Israel. So he says, but you, Israel, or you, Jacob, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, and there we have the idea of election right there, the offspring of Abraham, he says, Abraham is my friend. Abraham has passed away. Abraham is still God's friend. Why is he still God's friend? Because God's friend is on earth. Why is he still God's friend? He's still alive, yet he's with him in eternity. James 2 wrote this about Abraham. You see that faith was active among his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that, day that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So we see from the very beginning of creation, from the very beginning of the birth of the nation of Israel, it's based on friendship. So as a friend, think about this. God communicated to Abraham directly 
we know. He did it face to face. He actually appeared before him and spoke to him. Um, when instituting the covenant of circumcision, God spoke to him in a vision. Spoke to him through his wife, Sarah. So there's a variety of ways that God is communicating through a friendship to Abraham. Okay? Now, there's a, a pattern of how he communicates to him because as the relationship grows, he can communicate to him in a variety of ways. Does that make sense? Moses, Exodus 33, 9 through 11, when Miriam and Aaron were claiming to be as great as Moses, God says this, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. The Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, at, at the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We'll see how this is important in the story of Miriam and, and Aaron. But he's speaking to him face to face as a man speaks to him as a friend. There's friendship with Adam and Eve, friendship with Abraham, friendship with Moses. Solomon's experience is this. This is a great verse. In fact, I would recommend that you memorize it. It's, it's Proverbs 3.32, really short, but it's this. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord. Listen to this. But he is intimate with the upright. He is intimate with the upright. So obviously God desires what? Intimacy, friendship, exactly. And that was the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus Christ saying that. If you go to the New Testament, look at the life of Jesus, one of the insults that was thrown at him repeatedly by the religious leadership was that he was a friend of sinners. In Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is known for friendship. He even called this person a friend. Listen to this. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So Judas was considered a friend of God, a friend of Jesus. It says in Psalm 41, 9, about this event and about Judas, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's what you expect, right? Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Brother will betray brother. Father will betray son. Your closest friends will betray you. In Jesus' disciples, and this is a, a very, very profound statement in John 16, 15. If, actually, I want to turn there. Turn to John 15, 
15. It gives an, uh, a crucial part of this friendship that only Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, can offer his brothers and sisters. John 15, 15. So I'm trying to really drill into you this idea of friendship with God. That's the song, I am a friend of God. Remember that song? Hopefully that'll be in you throughout the week. But John 15, 15 says this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you what? Okay. So we have servants and we have friends. And he says, I'm not calling you servants. All right? I'm not calling you slaves. And... Uh, because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. Friends, however, share the secrets of their heart. Look at this. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So he is revealing who the father is to who? His friends. He doesn't reveal who the father is to his non-friends. Now, he also, everything I've heard from the Father, as we'll find out, it also means that he reveals to his friends their future. Find a friend that knows your future. Can you think of an example in the Gospels of when Jesus revealed the future to one of his friends? Peter. Peter. He revealed to Peter how he would glorify him in his death. Okay. He revealed through the Spirit to Paul that there would be what coming to him? Sufferings. Okay. He knew the, he knew the roughly the exact time of his, his death. He would go to Jerusalem for the last time. It had all been revealed to him. Because a friend, a real friend, I mean, you share the secrets of your heart with your close friends, right? And so the, the, the opposite is true. If you don't know your future, if, God is, if, if God's not sharing his heart with you, here's a clue. It's not God's fault. Perhaps you're not valuing that friendship enough. We'll talk about how you can, can, can value that this morning. So... Why a sermon on friendship with God, okay? Well, after laying out all that God has done for his children, and the vast, vast resources that he has provided for them, and I've gone over with this with you guys ad nauseum, Paul's first prayer for the Ephesians was this, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in what? The knowledge of him. You need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, knowing the Bible will give you wisdom, and you can know about him for sure. But to experience him, for him to reveal himself to you, that revelation comes through the Holy Spirit, that revelation comes only through the spirit within you, but also in a intimate, personal friendship. 
Because I know a lot of people that know the Bible, but you know that they don't have a personal relationship with God. You just sense it in them. Now all this means that Ephesians 1.17 means that you were created to be God's friend. You were created to be God's friend. The opposite is true. This means that God, guess what? He wants a friendship with you. In friendship with God, and, and if you're ever going to write anything down in this sermon, it might be this. Friendship with God is the key to recognizing God's voice and living the spirit-filled life. If you're not a friend of, of God, you will struggle living the Christian life. So obviously, how to be a friend of God. How can I be a friend of God? Here we go. How can I be a friend of God? I'm going to give you just five quick points here. These aren't revolutionary, but you may find them convicting. Number one is this. Put in the necessary time and effort. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Happy wife, happy life. How do I have a happy wife? Amongst other things I do, I spend time with her. Or imagine this. You, know, you have someone that you are really, really crazy about and you, and you want to marry this person. And you get married. And in your generosity, you spend five minutes with this partner every day. You give her, you give him five minutes. How is that marriage going to turn out? How is that relationship going to develop? How is that friendship going to be intimate? How are you going to know what's on that person's heart? Let's say this. Maybe you, you're generous and you really push yourself, I'm going to give my spouse 10 minutes a day. How many of you spent time with God every day this week? See? Not everybody's raising their hands. You have to put in time. That means you have to take something out of your schedule. Maybe many things. And spend time with God. If you want a friendship with him. Okay? That's the first point. But all that, you can mark up two hours every day. And read your Bible and pray and never enter into a relationship or a friendship with God. Because in here isn't right. God says this in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me in the condition. And this is the hardest part. When you search for me with all your heart. If you are a disciplined person and, and, and task-oriented like I am... You can put God in your schedule, and it's just a task. And you mark it off your schedule and feel good about yourself, and you go on, and you did not connect with him at all. God knows your heart. The pattern of Jesus, knowing that the temptation in this world to be pulled away from God 
and to get involved in the things of the world, the activities of the world. It says this in Luke 5, 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So we call the daily office. Do you remember that? Set time throughout the day to pull away and pray. Well, why are you doing that? Because you need to recenter your heart because of the pull of the world to get involved in whatever it may be, and it can be a very good thing, as in Martha, who was serving him in ministry. She put ministry above him, and what was the result? Jesus chastised her. Remember the one thing? The one thing. Being with him, Mary, she chose what? The best part, the thing that remains. And it wasn't going to be taken from her. So you got to put in the necessary time and effort. It's, in other words, think of it this way you need to completely reevaluate and change your schedule, basically. You know, one of the things that I, that I hope I'm not guilty of, I'm afraid I might be, but I hear it from a lot of retired people, and it makes me not want to be retired, is now that I'm retired, I have less time than I had before. How is that possible? Right? Well, you're filling your life with what? Other things. Well, take that time and fill it with God. You don't have to go to work. You can sleep in. Right? You're the captain of your own ship now. You don't have someone else you have to report to. Spend time with him, right? Put in the time and effort. Uh, you, you just can't get around that. If you want anything in this life, you want a promotion, you, you, know, you, want, you want to play in a football, you know, a football team playing a game, you've got to put in the work so you can make the team. Hopefully you start and you get in. You know, it's, just, it's simple. Time and effort. Time and effort. Then memorize and meditate on scripture. And these are in order. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not want. Sin against you. How did this, I mean, and they don't have tablets back then. Or phones. They didn't even have books. Stuff was in, you know, the, the, the peppers and so on, and they rolled scrolls and so on. They had to go to places. Everything was oral tradition, word of mouth. So what did they do? They committed it to memory. When Isaiah or not Isaiah, um, oh my God, Isaac, son of Jacob, right? Well, no, not Jacob, the son of Abraham. He would go into the field and, and meditate. Well, they didn't have anything to write on. He just meditated on it. It was within him. So you memorize it. That's the first thing you gotta do. Memorize the word of God because that's how God primarily speaks to us, through his word. And thus, that's not enough, though. You can have it in you. It doesn't mean anything if it's not always constantly on your mind. Joshua 1.8, remember this? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. You know the verse, right? But meditate on it what? Day and night. So I'm not doing well in my life. I'm still sitting over this or that, or I make this mistake or that and so on. Guess what? The answer's right here in Joshua 1.8. You do this, you meditate on it day and night, you don't let this book of law depart from you so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. If you're not obeying God, it's maybe because you, you know what you need to do, you just aren't doing it. 
Meditate on it. Keep it within you. Always. Then you do that, you're going to carefully do everything in it, and God will bless you. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is where the prosperity gospel preachers are just so far off. The name it, claim it, well, no, 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 no. It's a life that is blessed, a life of obedience over time. That's what's blessed. And tying into memorizing and meditating, this next point I'm going to share with you, um, I'll share with you a couple of books apart from the Bible that have radically transformed my years. But when I really got serious with God in college as a freshman, by my senior year, there was a two and a half, three year gap where I was doing everything and obeying the Lord and faithful and so on and so forth, and I just was not connecting with Him until the summer before my senior year, and I entered into a friendship with God. God became personal. One of the things I began to, to do was this right here, is to practice the presence of God. This is nothing new, by the way, okay? David said this, and this is something that David practiced, King David in the Bible. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's Psalm 16, 8. So he continually set God before him. In his mind, in his heart, God was always with him, and he was always aware of God. He had trained his mind, and this is the time and the effort I'm talking about, that wherever he went, he imagined God was with him. And he didn't have to imagine it because it was already true. By faith, he believed it. This is why David was able was so strong. He was never shaken for the most part because he knew that God was always with him. And then one of my favorite verses of all time, this verse has radically changed my relationship with God. And you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know it. Lean not on your own understanding in what? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight, okay? I didn't believe that verse. I knew it, I didn't believe it until I started practicing it, and my guess is that you don't believe it either. If you did, what would you be doing? You would acknowledge him in what? All your ways, right? But you've been taught, perhaps, that God is a distant deity that kind of just isn't really interested in the details of your life. For example, where you live, what car you drive, who you marry, other than the general criteria of a believer and so on. He won't, he's not that intimately involved in your life, right? All you need to know is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't speak to every issue. There is an element of faith to him directing you. The Bible didn't tell Peter to go to Cornelius. Did it? He wouldn't have gone, even though Jesus had already said to him, go to the Gentiles. Don't call what I call you know, clean unclean. 
By the way, remember that story of Jesus on, or Peter on, 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 on the rooftop and he has that vision? And what, it was, what did the vision say? Do you remember? Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he was gonna kill and eat what? Unclean animals according to a Jew. What had Jesus, the word of God, the person in the word of God already said to him about food? All foods are what? Clean. Did he get it from, re- from listening to the word of God? Maybe he was written down and he read it. Did he get it? No. How did he finally get it? Through an experience with God that he recognized out of a friendship with him of God speaking to him in a variety of ways, by the way, through people, through circumstances, in a vision, all of that. But if you're going to acknowledge him in all your ways, your life will be different. Let me give you an example here. Do you think God cares if you lose your car keys? Everybody raise your hand because I know it's true that you've all lost your car keys, all right? Some of us do it more. I'm starting to do it more and more and more, okay? It's awful, but it comes with getting older. If I believe in all your ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your paths, then I have to believe that God cares about that. Right? So how many of you who have lost your car keys have ever asked God to show you where they would be? Good. Have you actually found he answered you right then and there and you got him, right? Now, less hands, but yeah. My dad lost his car keys, this is back 2019, 18 or 19. They were at our place in, in Washington and we looked for his keys and looked for his keys and he couldn't find it. And so, you know, I'm a little slow and so I said, you know what? I think God cares about this. I just simply said something like, Lord, show me where his car keys are. And I had in my mind, it flashed in my mind just an image, a picture in my mind, of him having his hand on top of the car and he was leaning down talking to, uh, I can't remember who was in the car, we had the Highlander at the time. And I thought, I bet you they were in his hands and he put them on top of the car. And sure enough, that's where they were. I was not, I was not there for that, that was something that God just revealed to me at that moment. God has directed me who to marry, and of which I'll have words with him when I get into heaven, but. (laughs) Yes, I'll thank him, there you go. Tom had to say it because Tracy's sitting right next to him, so. um, He revealed to me who to marry. He has revealed to me which car to buy, which house to buy. Okay, obviously he revealed to me to come here. Does he care about those small, intimate, or trivial details of your life? Absolutely he does, okay? But we are so independent in our mindset because of the culture we're raised in, because we have a sinful nature that wants to be independent of God. We don't think that he is that intimate or that involved in our lives. But if I need help for something, who am I gonna go to? Oh God, but I'm gonna go to a friend, right? And who is to be your best friend? God and then your spouse if you're married. And then your dog, kind of spouse dog, kind of close, but 
you get the picture there. So here's the book that I would, I would highly, highly recommend that you buy. The Practice of the Present. It is not a thick book. It's very, 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 very uh, short. But let me tell you about this book. You notice the name, Brother Lawrence? Here's, the, here's why it's, it's, they wrote this about him in the um, write-up of the book. Brother Lawrence was a man of humble beginnings who discovered the greatest secret of living in the kingdom of God here on earth. Do you want to know what that secret is? And it will, it will radically transform your relationship with God. I guarantee it. If it doesn't, you can come see me and I'll find out what sins your life will deal with it and you will be transformed because I am not wrong on this, okay? It is the art of practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. As a humble cook, this was written, I think, in the 1400s, 1600s, something like that. Brother Lawrence learned an important lesson through each daily chore. Listen to this. The time he spent in communion with the Lord should be the same whether he was bustling around in the kitchen with several people asking questions at the same time or on his knees in prayer. In other words, he would experience such deep intimacy with God in everything he did, whether he was cooking, whether he was in a conversation, or whether he was alone on his knees in prayer. Is that possible is the question you have to be asking yourself. And it is. But it comes through what? Time and effort. And then a belief that God is that close to you. He wants some friendship with you. And that you can acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your paths. He learned to cultivate the deep presence of God so thoroughly in his own heart he was able to joyfully exclaim, I am doing now what I will do for all eternity. I am blessing God, praising him, adoring him, and loving him with all my heart. And that's what you will do in eternity. There is no need for faith. There is no need for hope in heaven. It's all there. But there will always be a need for love, and you will learn to love him when you see him face to face. This unparalleled classic has given both blessing and instruction to those who can be content with nothing less than knowing God in all his majesty and feeling his loving presence throughout each simple day. You simply practice the presence of God. And what you'll find if you do this is that there will be sins in your life that you kind of glossed over. For example, you may watch something on TV or on the computer that when you realize, well, God is sitting right next to me. I shouldn't do that. And what you'll find is this then. I don't like him being with me all the time. Especially if you're introverted, right? His, his presence will be an intrusion. You gotta work through that. Die to that, whatever it is. And see, it's an invitation. See, his presence is always an invitation to deeper fellowship. And if you spent every waking moment with another person, yeah, you, you, you'd want to kill them, obviously. 
but boy, you would know them, wouldn't you? You can, and, and husbands and wives that have been married for years, I know, she knows things about me, and I'm not doing anything, but she can see what I'm thinking. That's how well she knows me. I have no idea who that woman is. I cannot understand her at all, okay? <laughs> that's every husband and wife. That's why it says what? Husbands, live with your wives and understand why there's Carol's laughing her head off looking at Don's like, yep, and she's like, yep. But you would know them and, and, and what they're thinking and they can anticipate. You know what I mean? Practice the presence of God. The next thing you want to do is this, is you want to embrace humility. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, just listen to this. Remember the story of Moses? I talked about that earlier. And Miriam and Aaron, they thought, well, we're as good as you are. God doesn't just speak through you, Moses. He can speak through us as he has in the past. This is what God said to them. Now, the man Moses was very meek. What does the word meek mean? He was humble. More than all people who were on the face of the earth, and suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. In other words, I'm getting the paddle out, and two of you are going to get it. <laughs> and the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So already God is speaking to prophets, how? Through dreams and visions. So he's already communicating to his creation, to his people. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. So we had Moses, who was very, very, a friend of God, very, very, very intimate with God. God just was so close to him, he could speak directly, face to face, not in riddles. Well, why? What does the text tell us about him? He was humble. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, and just so you know, this is a consistent message throughout the Bible. It says this, all these things my hand has made, God speaking, all the stuff I've made, he said. And so all these things came to be, it declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one who I will focus on. This is the one who has my attention. This is the one who has my undivided attention. The one I favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud he knows from afar. If, if you're not experiencing a deeper friendship with God, maybe there's some pride in your life. This is why I recommend this book. Henry Black would be created to be God's friend. It talks about the life of Abraham. I'm going to read to you again what it says in the write-up about this. God called Abraham to be his friend. Henry Brockleby uses an example set by Abraham to show how God uses difficult events, traumatic circumstances, and trying life experiences to lead us into spiritual maturity. Let me stop right there. That is offensive today, what I just read to you. Because today, if you are uncomfortable at all, what do we do? 
You unfriend somebody, what else? You avoid it. But they also create safe spaces for people, right? There's kids that can go to school in their pajamas because they're uncomfortable in large groups. And so we're going to coddle you and give you your own separate room where you can have your own pillow and your blanket in school, mind you. Okay? Remember I talked about that? I, I, I thought, are those kids wearing pajamas? Is that a blanket and a pillow? I said to my boys, and as I dropped them off one day, and they were like, and they explained what was going on, I couldn't believe it. But the other thing is, it's offensive, what, this whole statement about how God uses difficult events, traumatic circumstances, and trying life experiences to lead us into spiritual maturity, is that these bad things that happen to us, we're a victim. No, if you're a believer, it's the discipline of the Lord. Don't loathe his reproof. Embrace it, lean into it, let God develop you. And the book will tell you this is how God makes you his friend. So if you walk away from that stuff, what you really are saying is, I don't want to be your friend. Look at the life of Moses. The first 40 years, he didn't really know the Lord. What did he do? He tried to do God's will in his own strength, and he failed miserably. So God banned him for the next 40 years to do what? Wander in a desert for the most part, right? Then he broke him down. He was humble. He was contrite. The next 40 years, what does God do with him? Apart from the miraculous, what does he do? He creates a friendship with him, and he is his closest friend. His readers will learn how God interacts with his people to transform them into men and women he can call friends. From the first time we respond to God's spirit in our lives through the chance, choices that help us develop a worthy character, Abraham's story shows us how we can be transformed and become friends of God. There are things that, in ways that God communicates to me now that I never would have been able to receive 20 years ago. There's things I had to go through. I had to, areas I had to be broken in. I've learned to embrace that stuff so that I can have a deeper friendship with God. Number five, I would say this. Read Christian books on cultivating a personal relationship with God. Now, I talked to you about the, uh, the practice of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Apart from the Bible, that book was revolutionary in developing a friendship with God. This next book, and I've shared it with you a couple times, this helped me discern and detect and learn, okay, this is God speaking to me. It's a practical guidebook. He's a Baptist pastor, Peter Lord, and I thank God I'm not, last name's not Lord. Pastor Lord. Anyways, here's a story. This, this book is full of stories. This is a, uh, um, one of the stories from this book, real short one. He says, while on a retreat a few years ago, I lost my wallet. In my journal, I wrote, Lord, I would like to have my wallet back. Is there any way I can cooperate with you in finding it? His answer in my mind was, no, Peter, you need do nothing except trust me. I will give your wallet back. Do you have that type of communication with God that he speaks to you in that way. Let me tell you, first of all, why that's, there are things that you'll learn in this book. 
does Jesus know your name? Yes. You're a sheep, and he calls a sheep by? So he says, no, Peter. Okay? In the vision that Peter had on the rooftop, what did he say? Arise, Peter, and eat. Okay? During the next few days, I would occasionally ask him about it, and the answer would be the same. At one time, I got impatient with God. I want my wallet back now. Lord, there's that $300 check in there that someone gave me to get a new suit. But my impatience helped not one bit. But six weeks later, my wallet arrived through the mail 100% intact. In all your ways, acknowledgement. You'll see that in this book and in these books, I'm telling you that these people believe those things to be true. And they had a, a different kind of relationship with God. He talked about how, this has happened to us, and, and wives, you probably recognize it. You have a, a, your wedding band, and sometimes it, it's older, and, and a, a pearl or a diamond may fall out, right? Well, he and his wife were at their, their son's house in Texas, and one of the smaller diamonds fell out. And they looked and looked and looked and found it embedded in the carpet, and they were so happy. They prayed that God, can we find it? And they eventually found it. She put it in her suitcase in a zipped pocket and kept it there because it'd be safe. They went home to Florida, opened up the, the suitcase, and it wasn't there. And they looked and looked and looked and couldn't find it. And they just assumed over time that it, it was never meant to be. I don't know how long, which I can't remember the story in, in its great detail, but sometime later, God spoke to Peter Lord and says, Peter, the diamond ring, or the, the, the diamond stone, is in your top dresser drawer. Sure enough, he opened his drawer, and there it was. Now, does he care about something like that? Absolutely. Do you have that type of friendship with God? If you are going to enter into, I mean, think of it this way. You are what? Strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in your inner man. Remember Ephesians 3, 14 to 21? That's strengthening with power. That's the, 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 the third baptism. You're empowered to do what? What's the next phase? So that Jesus Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That's his lordship. He is increasingly lord over every area of your life. When you are strengthened with power, he gives you desire to make him Lord. And if he is Lord over every area of your life, if he is sovereign, then you can come to him and ask anything. Even where your car keys are, where your wallet may be, and where your lost diamond is. He is that intimate. I mean, this guy shares stories of how God revealed him how to unclog a toilet. Does he really care that that happens, right? Well, they called in a plumber, and he couldn't figure it out. His son couldn't figure it out. He spent an hour looking at it, couldn't figure it out. Then it dawned on him, I'll ask God. And when God revealed to him what the problem was, it was fixed within a few minutes. If you are spirit-filled, if you are a son or daughter of God, you will be led by the Spirit. And that's what it means. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
You remember I told you when I was at that baseball game years ago, and I told that lady that God has revealed to me the future and where I'm to go, what am I to do? And she said, and she's a believer, I wish I had that type of friendship with God. That is available to you. But you gotta seek him with all of your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no closing song, but I do want to open up this time this morning for anybody that says, you know, I'm listening to what pastor is saying, and I want a deeper friendship with you. I need that. I invite you to come on up right now. You can come up here. I'm going to pray for you. If this is something that God is speaking to you in your heart, or maybe you can just want to stand right where you are so I can pray for you. Because that's the application point. Do you have a friendship with God? I just want to give you a moment to respond, and then we'll close in a prayer and go to air conditioning. (laughs) Father, for everyone that has responded to your, your leading to the Holy Spirit, I ask you to fulfill your will. Because it is your will that we would know you. Grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Reveal yourself to us as we seek you. Father, even right now, I pray that your spirit would fall upon these people and empower them. Show them the things in their lives that are hindering their communication with you, their intimacy, their friendship. And Lord, strengthen them to repent of those ways and those things and to fully embrace you and to expect that you will reveal to them and and become close to them and will speak to them and become more and more real in everyday life and that they will know a joy that is beyond understanding. I simply pray that by faith in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. And get out of here because it's hot in here. You're making me hotter up here. So go.